That is unmistakable music from 60 Days In, the A&E series that is now on Netflix. And I have been talking to you for about, mm, what, two months about having this person on the show today. That's right. Today is the day. If you haven't binged watched 60 Days In on Netflix yet, click off of this Tune in and then come back because today we have Mark from season five of 60 Days In and he's sharing all the dirty little secrets of what it was like to be in prison, incarcerated as a regular innocent human being. Who would do this? Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and today is the day. Okay, I told you guys way back in 2020, way back in 2020, about a guest I was super excited about. And I told you guys you had homework to binge watch. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, I have Mark from 60 days in. Now, 60 days in, for those of you who haven't watched it, is on Netflix, season five, and it's a show where they take regular people and they bring them into prison and they document the whole thing. 60 days in prison. I don't know who or why you would do this, but I found one of the people who did. We have Mark from season five. Mark, how are you? I'm good, Jody. How are you doing? I am so excited to talk to you. I mean, well, thank you for having me on. It means it means a lot, and I really do appreciate it. Oh my gosh! Well, thank you for doing this. I just, <clears throat> I have a thousand questions. So <laughs> I mean, I I promised everybody that we're gonna get all the nitty gritty, all the dirt from behind the scenes, and you lived it. So we got to get into it. Let's do it. Okay. So first of all. Where do you live? Where are you from? I live in Georgia. I live uh, right outside the Atlanta area. As we can hear your Southern accent, so that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> I love it. I love accents. <laughs> and so you are former military. You're a police officer, by the way. Thank you for your service and thank you for protecting, you know, American citizens and anyone. Appreciate thank that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, you know, it, it, just being in the military, it's kind of funny because because everyone knows me now as the 60 days in guy. And it's like, well, I, I had 60 days on TV didn't dictate my whole life. But yeah. yeah, I guess. I, but yeah, I did. I did 13 years in the military and I, I work for a local sheriff's office now. Well, awesome. Okay. Yeah. So you got to take me back now. First of all, what year was this that you did 60 days in? Cause I know it's season five, but I don't know what year that was. Okay. So it premiered to, you know, A and E audiences in January of 2019. Okay, I was actually incarcerated uh, from March until the end of April of uh, two of the year before, so 2018. Does that feel weird to even say I was incarcerated? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's definitely. Uh, I, 
it's something that I leave off on my resumes when I do one. Yes. I mean, I'm sure that's something you probably, I mean, I'm assuming a lot about you, but you probably never thought you would say, yes, I was incarcerated back in 2018. Well, the great thing about job applications is they say, have you ever been convicted? Okay, of good. A crime? See, I've never been convicted. I was just held for 60 days. That's good. If you ever have to take a lie detector test, you're not lying. So that's a, a very important thing. So you're at home minding your own business, being a super fan of the show. I understand. I mean, you even said that on your season. You said you were a super fan and you had watched every episode and you were enjoying it. Yeah. So let me let me get into a little bit of how I even got into the whole 60 days venture. I got out of the military in 2013 okay. and I started to work uh, as a corrections officer. And so fast forward, I had done it a few years and this whole idea of 60 days in, because I'm an avid A&E watcher, or I, I used to be, um, but uh, this whole commercial comes on and, and it's talking about people that are willing to go undercover to help the sheriff in a jail setting. And I remember thinking at the time, why are these people that stupid to volunteer <laughs> to go onto a show undercover? So, <laughs> so the whole, the whole idea of the show intrigued me. And <clears throat> so I started watching it and like everyone on Facebook, any business, any show, whatever, they have a Facebook page. So I joined the Facebook page. So the way I actually got selected to be on the show, I often tell people that I was in the wrong line. I thought I was in the line for Big Brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know until I reported to Joe that I was in the 60 Days In line. But There's a lot of similarities, by the way, between Big Brother and 60 Days In, <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, but, uh, so I joined the uh, Facebook page and, you know, they, I, I commented on one of their posts. And to be honest with you, I don't know what post it was. But in the early stages of the show, I, I made a comment on their post on Facebook. And fast forward a year, a year and a half later, I get a message in my inbox on Facebook. And it's a it's from the recruiting company. So. They have an interesting recruiting process uh, in my case and in a lot of other participants' cases. They will go out and find you. So it's oh. a little bit different than most reality shows. They have thousands of applications, if not more than thousands. Uh, for us, they have an interesting recruiting process. Interesting how? Besides the fact that they are actually recruiting, was there something bizarre or unique about it? Well, uh, as I said, for... For most shows, you have thousands, if not tens of thousands of applications for them. They come out and they seek, they seek people out just to give you just something a little funny is when they sent me a message, they had made the comment uh, that they were a casting company from New York and they wanted to talk to me about a TV show. And I was like, okay, I almost didn't even answer the uh, message because <laughs> I thought it was a scam. Right. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> So definitely an interesting uh, uh, recruiting process. So one of the things that many fans of the show that follow me on social media ask is, well, you know, how do you get on the show? And there's no easy way to tell you how to get on 60 days in because their recruiting process is so 
different than most shows. See, that's interesting because with Big Brother, it's dual. They go and recruit people and they have the big cattle call auditions, send in your tape type thing. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So there you are going through the whole process. Was there a point when it was like you were going through everything? And how long did that process take? Are we talking days, weeks, months? So the process, if I told you that, hold on, I went in in March of 2018. I'm sorry, it's getting a couple of years ago. So I have to think for a second about the years. (laughs) The recruiting process started in about July of the previous year so i guess that would be 2017 is when they first got in contact with me uh there's a whole you know you between talking to people on the phone doing skype interviews with the different levels of uh, producers uh it probably took seven months because it was about july is when they started and i received a call in late january that said hey are you still interested in doing the show then uh, you got to be out here in about two weeks. So, <laughs> so you basically so, went through that whole thing, not knowing if you were going to be on it. And then there was kind of silence for a little while and then bing, you there, were. Yeah, there was. So initially I wasn't even hundred percent sure I wanted to do the show. Of I course. mean, just to be honest with you, if they had told me that when they, when they're recruiting you, they don't tell you where the show is going to take place until you've been selected to maintain, you know, maintain secrecy. Right. But, I started the whole recruiting process really saying to myself, I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to do this. That's I'll do normal. the recruiting process, but I'll decide when I find out where it is because a secret I'm going to share with you and your audience is if they had said Rikers Island or <laughs> L.A. County Jail, I would have I gracefully bowed out. Yeah. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> but, wow. uh, yeah, so the process took about seven months and – and you just get bounced up. I guess the best way to describe it is bounced up the chain of command. Uh, you start with the local for a casting assistant. And then eventually uh, they said, hey, we really like you. We're going to send your information to the sheriff and to A&E. So a lot of people don't realize this either is the casting company is like the people that uh, filmed our show that's not a and e it's another company right. so when you're going through the recruiting process you're going through the casting agency and the company that kind of does the filming but then so towards the end they said hey we'll go ahead and kick it on up to a and e and the sheriff for final approval and then there was i don't know there was a, a kind of as you said a dead silence for a couple of months and then at the end of january they reached out to me again and said if you're ready to go let's go and i want to say within about two weeks i was in Arizona. Wow. Do they do any kind of mental testing or emotional they, training? Yeah, <laughs> so they do. A lot of people don't realize this, but you have to take a physical, you have to take a psychological assessment. Uh, they Skype you in with one of their top psychologists and which is a really good thing because you've seen a lot of the participants of the show. Like if you watch season five, uh, we can yeah. talk about Steve. But, <laughs> so you would think there's not a psychological process is yeah. a psychological assessment, but there, there is, believe it or not. Well, that's good. I, I mean, I know they do the same thing with big brother and, I'm not so sure it really helps, I think, maybe for their end, but it was never, I felt, it was never something that really helped, uh, you know, prospective contestants. Um, You know, one of the biggest things that I would say is, yeah, you're right, 
it, it doesn't help. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but uh, when I say you guys, I'm talking about the big brother community. Mm-hmm. But I think when you need to talk to the psychologist, it would actually probably be after the show. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. When you see how America reacts to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to get into that too. So then they say, hey, can you get out here? Let's do this. Was there a moment when you were like, oh my God, hell no, or you had to think about it, or were you just like, yeah, all right, I'm in? I would say that I was I was fine with it until they finally put the handcuffs on me and put me in the back of the car and drove oh, me to God. the jail because up to that point, you're, you know you're going to be on TV, so you know, and 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 everything up to that point is, you know, when you get out there, it's all interviews, it's all okay. So you're going through the process, and it doesn't really hit you that okay, I just signed up to go to jail for sixty days until <laughs> they they put those handcuffs on you. <laughs> and you have a wife and kids, right? How many kids do you have? I do. I have three kids. They're now. Um, uh, well, now they're 19, 14, and 13, but so uh, subtract three years from that, and there were 16, 11, and 9. And what 10. did mom and kiddos think about you going into prison? You know, we didn't tell the kids. Uh, we, well, we did tell my oldest because she was 16, as I said, 16, maybe 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other two, we didn't say anything to, but. You said my, dad's going out to get like a carton of cigarettes. Wife, uh, I'm sorry. I keep getting a phone call. So sorry. About <laughs> oh, no, that. I don't oh, even hear it. So that's fine. No worries. Life <laughs> goes on. But... <laughs> You're so popular. But, uh, but if I keep, if I keep hitting decline, then that's probably, so, that's probably saying I'm okay. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. No worries. What was the question again? <laughs> so, I mean, you said you didn't tell the younger kids, but what did your 16-year-old and your wife think about this? And did they tell you, you know, Daddy, hub, hubby, don't do this? So, my wife has been married to me for, we're about to celebrate 16 years, and I was in the military before, so she's used to me not being home. So, okay. believe it or not, she was she was like, you're a moron, but okay, whatever. <laughs> That's <cool>. love. <laughs> And then my oldest, it's actually kind of funny you ask about my oldest child, producers while they were there doing the home, the home scene, if you, if, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. said, hey, we want to, we want to have you tell your daughter and we want to film the reaction. And when we told my daughter, she was just like, oh, okay, cool, dad. I was like, okay, not <laughs> wow. exactly the reaction I had thought, but. Uh, and I don't think producers even, because they thought it was going to be good TV. No, Daddy. Uh, Daddy, don't go. She grabs onto your leg. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, uh, if you if you watch my home scene, at the, like right before I drive off in the van, uh, my son starts crying. And, you know, of course, it captured America's hearts and all that stuff. But they were, before they actually pressed record on those cam- on, on those uh, video cameras, they man, they were doing everything to get him to cry. Your dad's going to be gone a long time. <gasps> they pinched He's, him. You know, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so they were playing with my boy, my poor son's emotions. And so he started, they finally get him. He starts crying. They're like, okay, go roll. Wow. Shocking. <laughs> Reality TV wants to make your son cry. What a surprise. <laughs> oh, you've been there. You know yeah. Okay, so you're ready to go in. They fly you out to Arizona, and and for those who've watched the show, you're. It seems like you're out in some the desert, like when they 
get you started. Where are you when it first begins, when they get you into the vehicle? Yeah, so it was just a remote spot off the road a little bit where I guess they had all decided, hey, we're just going to, this is going to be the scene of the arrest. And so it was just some remote part of Pinal County. Now, Pinal County is just a very rural part of Arizona. Mm-hmm. It's about an hour and a half south of Arizona, uh, Tempe, all that area. So it's just a very, very rural area. So there's a lot of just desert, and they just drove me out to a desert spot, and that's where they arrested me. <laughs> Wow. And what's, I forget the, the main, the big, is it a sheriff? The big guy who's like the lead officer of the show. What's his name? Oh, that would be Sheriff Mark Lamb. Okay. So what was he like? Because to me, he looks a very intimidating and B like somebody who, when the camera's on, his personality is big, but when the cameras are off, he's not so nice. So I don't know. That's my impression of him. You know what? Sheriff Mark Lamb, honestly, has a, he has a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, and, and most of the participants minus Steve, maybe think very highly of, of Mark. In fact, I talked to him on the phone, you know, every few months or so anyway. So yeah, he's just this over the top, you know, type character. And, being out in Arizona, of course, he wears the 55-gallon cowboy hat. <laughs> I love so, that. <laughs> I really do. So, but he's just a larger-than-life character, and, and he's just as great when when the cameras aren't rolling and private phone calls as he is when they are rolling. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, I have to say, I mean, as somebody who watches a lot of reality TV, probably a little bit less than I used to, I just got the feeling that that guy genuinely cares about his job and you can't fake that. I mean, I think people can try, but I felt like he really cared about the people and doing what he said he was trying to do. I I mean, that was the sense I got from him for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think his, his intentions were very noble. Um, The one thing that if you watch the entire series of 60 days in that I've seen a lot of people talk about is, our gels weren't, or our gel wasn't as bad as the other ones portrayed in the other seasons. Um, but I think, you know, Mark Lamb just wanted to do it to make sure everything was still running right. He, he's a good sheriff. He's got a good control of the uh, gel back there. And so, yeah, we didn't have it quite as bad as, say, Fulton County or, or this latest season in Etowah County. But, uh, but he still had his issues and he just wanted us in there to, to try yeah. to, try to, what's the word I'm trying, words I'm trying to say here to try to, uh, you know, make conditions even better. Yeah. Well, here we are on the precipice of Mark actually going into prison. He's got his handcuffs on. And now I want to ask you, Mark, all about what it's like when you first step in there and your process through and what does jail smell like? What does it feel like to be there when you actually like lose control of your own life and all of that. We're going to talk about that coming up right after this. Stay with me. Welcome back. Okay. So when we left off, Mark from 60 Days In is about to go into prison. So Mark, 
you walk in there, they process you through, you know, you have handcuffs on. What's it like when you first are, I guess, released into jail? You know, you're first in there. I mean, what does it smell like? What does it sound like? How do you feel knowing your, your sort of sense of freedom is now gone? Well, so the moment they're like, okay, there's where you're staying and they open the doors and they lock you in. It is definitely an overwhelming uh, experience uh, because you're not 100% sure what you're walking into. Mm-hmm. And um, now as far as the smells, I would say jail is a very institutional smell. Mm-hmm. And I know that's hard to explain, but if you've ever been in a hospital or anything like that, you'll understand the smells. But as far as when they release you, that's when you're like, okay, all eyes are on me because I know I'm coming in. So everybody, so that's it's now time to, you know, it's game on. It's it's time to go ahead and start working on these relationships. Are you, but are you instantly stressed? Because I would think my anxiety would just skyrocket because it's like you're hyper focused. You know, all your senses are highly tuned. You're, the the hair on the back of your neck is standing up because you're just like, okay, what is this? But I can't look nervous. I can't be anxious. I mean, maybe because you're a police officer or have been in the military, it's kind of old hat to you. And this is a mission, and you're there to work. But how do you deal with the fact that you're just in there and it's sensory overload, I would assume? It, it is. It's complete sensory overload. Um, I don't know. You just deal with it. It, it, it. You definitely, like when I went in, I wouldn't say I was scared, but I was definitely nervous because these. This is. I knew I was going to be here for two months. So it, it's definitely... I would say a nerve-wracking experience uh, to go in, but then you just go in and make the best of it. I mean, you know, even though at the end of the day I'm undercover for the for the sheriff, you, you can't help to think in the back of your head how many new people come in here all the time. You know, how many people come in here every day. Yeah. So you just you just do it. You know, you just and and I would say the military probably didn't help you for going into jail, but you know, you've, I've been in some pretty hairy environments in my military experience. So uh, I just kind of looked at it like, you know, here we go. Yeah, I was a little nervous, but I wasn't scared, if that answers your question. Well, that's <laughs> that's impressive, in my opinion. I kind of felt <laughs> like, and again, as somebody who was on reality TV and watched it, they always sort of try to type people out. And I felt like they sort of mm-hmm. set you up to be like the sort of dopey, white guy who's going to get his ass kicked like that's what mm-hmm. i felt like they set you up as were you aware that that was happening did you notice that when you got home and you're like wait a minute i'm former military i'm a cop i'm not just some guy eating chips in my living room who decided to do this nothing wrong with eating chips in your living room but you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it makes great question um you know they i i didn't know i didn't know how i was being set up and yeah, especially the participants now, we go back and look at all the seasons. And no, you told me on Netflix and only season of Netflix. If you go back and watch all the other seasons, see, there's a typecast. Uh, you've always got the awkward. Uh oh, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. I can still hear you, oh. but I don't know if you. Yeah, you got me? Yes. So you said you feel okay. like you're typecast? Uh, okay, so yeah, we. You definitely see that there's a lot of typecasting that goes in there. You always have the alpha male. Mm-hmm. You always have, you know, the the awkward person who everyone thinks is going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, that's the, and it is what it is. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's easy to get home and get mad at them. But at the end of the day, they have a show to sell and yes. you know, you can't be mad at production for that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I have to admit that when I am watching the show and I, <laughs> I, I had think I'd heard of it on A&E, but then mm-hmm. I don't really watch that much A&E. And so when I saw it on Netflix and I was like, Oh, I'll see what this is about. And then I just started binge watching it. So I was hooked. <laughs> I was totally addicted. And then I'm like, okay, so this guy, Mark, what's going to happen with him? I'm like, he's going to get beat up. He's going to quit. Like what's going to happen? And they fell in love with you and they really didn't show what precipitated it. It kind of looked like you went in there and you're like, Hey, anybody want to read the Bible? And they're all like, yeah. And then they befriend you and they start calling you. What do they start calling you? Like, they didn't uh, well, begin. what they called me was Reverend. Yes. How did all that actually, well, how did that actually happen? Because editing really didn't explain. It made it look like, a very simple process. I mean, was it? So, you know, you know, because you've been on Big Brother, editing can be a bear. Mm-hmm. And so they don't necessarily show the full story. And so there were some things that I did in the pod that you ne- that never made it past the editing room floor. Um, for example, when I went in there, one of the things that the sheriff said to me is he said, look, he said, uh, you know, David and Abner can pass the snuff test because they're big, tough dudes. They said, but you, on the other hand, you don't come across that way. So we're going to put you in for a white collar crime because you come across as educated. So go ahead and just embrace it. So, you know what I did? I embraced it. I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to run a pod. At least that was my intention in the beginning, but we'll get into that later in the interview. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but it had no intention. It was just like, you know what? That's what the sheriff said. That's what I'm going to embrace. So what I did was I went in there and, and I, I've actually got a bachelor's degree. I went to grad school. So I, one of the first things I did was I set up a program because a lot of these guys, so, oh, uh, you know, inmates are portrayed as these terrible people. And when you get in there, there, there are definitely people that need to be incarcerated and some that need to be incarcerated for the rest of their lives. But when you get in there and see that the majority of these people are just people that, you know, they have chemical dependency issues or they have, you know, stuff they just need to work through. They're not inherently bad people. So, you know, I made quite a few friends and having that in mind, I want to see these people succeed. I don't want to see them come back to jail. So one of the things I set up was I was actually writing resumes for guys. Oh, wow. Um, And, you know, of course, Arizona, everything's about race. And I'm sure we'll get into that part later, but I didn't care who you were. I didn't care what race you were. I didn't care. You know, at the end of the day, I kind of set up a, a workshop where I would write resumes and I wouldn't charge. So everything in jail has a price. Yeah. And usually if I do something for you, that means you're going to do something for me, whether, you know, you give me a couple of items off commissary or whatever, but I didn't, I just said, Hey, if you guys don't want to be in this situation anymore, you know, let me help, help me help you. And I'll write your resumes for free. And when you guys get out, hopefully you can get a good job. So I set up a lot of good friendships with that. As far as the Bible study, I was consistent. I did it several days a week, every week. So I think people just really got to to, to like me because I wasn't going around acting tough. And I was trying to help people when I could. I kind of wish they had shown that because that's another level 
of depth on how you got their trust and kind mm -hmm. of showing that they are human beings and, you know, not all animals that need to be locked up forever. And mm -hmm. uh, that, I mean, I think that's pretty interesting that you did that and you were able to do that. <laughs> and that's the great thing about production with 60 Days In is it's a lot of people that realize not everyone that are in jail are bad people. I mean, we all have pretty much the same mindset of, hey, let's help these guys where we can. And that was my mindset going into the pod. And that's exactly what I, I, I hope I did. Uh, you know, I, I can only... You know, you ever heard the old adage of you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yes. You know, I was trying to trying to lead them in the right way. And I can only hope, you know, here it is a couple of years later, that at least one of them took my advice. <laughs> wow. I, I think it's pretty special that you were able to even do that. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to ask you, you're in prison and is time passing extremely fast or extremely slow or, you know, because with reality TV, when you're in there and I think back to my first year of college, like it, it just felt like a ton of time passed and it was only like a couple of months. So how did time feel when you're in there? Yeah. And I'm sure y'all had the same thing because you were confined to the same area for the duration of the filming of the show. And I would say that was pretty much how jealous you're confined to the same room. Mm -hmm. You wake up to the same people. You do the same thing over and over. So after a while, I mean, to be honest with you, it, it it's one day. You could be in there one day, and it felt like it was three or four days. Wow. So it, it probably felt longer than 60 days. Yeah, absolutely. It did. It, it, uh, it felt like I was never leaving. <laughs> now, was there anything in there that completely shocked you whether it was the different inmates or experiences or how the CEO I don't know if I don't remember if you called them CEOs but the officers treated each other or you or anything that you just were like I cannot believe that this or these things happened here or happened while you were there hmm. I gotta think about that for a second I, I would say First of all, this is, I'm not ever going to bash anyone that works as a CO or in the jail setting. They call them DOs, detention officers. Remember that. It's a tough job. And often DOs and COs get the least amount of thanks and uh, appreciation because you don't see what they do and what they have to handle. Right. That being said, having been a CO, I have a high expectation for, you know, people that were in my career field. You know, I'm not saying... You have to come in and kiss up to us, but on the same token, the level, the level of frustration with some of them was uh, definitely overwhelming. Now, I also want to say that the show did a really good job of portraying the DOs as bad, but there were many, many, many more good DOs that were just great guys that were very professional in their work. And so I do want to give them props. That's and nice. if you're, if someone's listening to your show and they, you work in that, that type of work, thank you for your service. Honestly. <clears throat> but, I, yeah. I would assume that would be a very thankless job. And I, where I live, there's a couple of prisons and I know people who work there. And so I know it can be very thankless. I don't know much about it, but I know that. Um, but they do do a good job of portraying some of the bad that goes on. I wish they showed more good than bad, but there were some bad DOs. And, and thank God it got the light sh uh, shined, shown, shined on them. <laughs> yeah, one of those. <laughs> well, that one scene where they, they show the guy who was 
like taking names for something and he kind of walked away from you. Did that happen how it was edited? Because it looked like you were just like, oh, you know, like, excuse me, sir. And he's kind of like, that's it. You know, I'm not going to speak with you. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what you see is exactly what happened. So what had happened was he came in and then he brought in a list of everyone that needed a razor. Um, so in jail, obviously, you don't let people have razors to shave their face, you know, just in the cell at any time because it can be used as a weapon. So whenever you want to shave, they'll bring in razors every few days. And so that's exactly what that list was. I just wanted a razor blade so I could shave. And, uh, and as I'm walking up, he just grabs the sheet and walks out of the pod. And I'm like, hey, can I sign up, please? So... Now, we got into it. So you talking about that, that was, uh, I think, when the first point that I realized that some of the inmates had my back. Because if you watch that scene, you'll see a lot of people get mad over that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of the inmate population. And I will tell you, internally, they were getting so loud in there. I was like, oh, God, did I just start a riot? <laughs> <laughs> that would not be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, and on that note, did you ever feel like you were seriously, your life was in jeopardy or harm could come to you at any point? Other than the general sense of I need to watch my back. No, um, I would say that when David left, um, so if you haven't watched the show, I was in the pod with a guy by the name of David. He was another participant. But David, I know he gets a lot of hate for what happened. And we can talk about that when we get when we get to that part of the discussion. But he was very good about keeping the peace in the pod. So after Dave left, things got a little hairy. That's when Dylan got jumped. That's when there was a general sense of uneasiness. But I would never say I felt that I was ever targeted. My big issue was at that point, I had elevated myself in the pod where I was uh, second in charge of the woods. And my biggest fear is we were about to have a huge fight and I was going to have to fight. <laughs> wow. I just, uh, I mean, this, the stress, obviously they do a good job of building tension with the music and everything that you went through, but I honestly don't know how anybody could do what you did or any, you know, any of the participants. So it's just, it's, it's insanity to me. And I'm glad you did. Cause it's interesting. And I, for me, the reason I watch reality shows has always uh -huh. been, I love learning about the human condition and sociologically what people experience and people I will never meet or people I thought I understood or as I've said with Big Brother, one of the things that drew me to the show was that three people can have a conversation. And then when they leave that room and go tell three other people what happened, it's two, three totally, you know, different perceptions of the same exact thing. And oh, we don't you know, know that. I, I, I really got into Big Brother as well. And it's amazing to see the human psyche. Yes. Because you got people that you think are your best friends. And as soon as they leave the room, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden, hey, guess what this person just said? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Exactly. <laughs> and in real life, we don't know that because when you leave the room, you don't know what the heck is going on. Like it doesn't exist almost. And I think for you, you know, I want to ask you a couple of questions that I've, I've been thinking about and I'm like, all right, do I ask these? But I'm just going to ask. So, <laughs> well, the funny thing is that everybody has the, the, the famous phrase, oh, and someone goes into prison, don't drop the soap. 
Is there a big sexual undertone, an overtone? Were you accosted? Was anybody coming on to you? Is there sex going on all over the place? Like, what is it like there with regard to sexual behavior and activities? I can't speak to every pod in Pinal County, but what I can say about our pod is no, not at all. There was no overt sexual, uh, there was no in-your-face sexual stuff going on. Um, I will say that, at least in my pod, it was generally frowned upon, and if you engaged in that type of activity, you can be pretty much guaranteed that you were going to be run out of the pod. And I didn't understand that whole thing where, I mean, maybe this is obviously regular prison, you know, structure, but it seemed like you could be like, I don't like it here. I'm leaving. And they would just go, okay, you're out. Like, is that a normal thing? Like people getting run out? I thought that once you're in prison, you're in prison and that's it. And that's not the case. Uh, So in our pod, uh, we were able to, uh, so one of the big things is when you come in, they look at your charges. Uh, there's no getting around it. Everyone that comes in in Pinal County gets their charges looked at. And if you were suspect, and what, what I mean by suspect, as far as your charges, maybe, maybe you beat a woman or uh, you were involved in some type of underage sexual crime, uh, you would get run out of the pod. And the officers allowed that simply because they didn't want to deal with the fighting. And I I can't say that's a bad idea either. Uh, They were very proactive about, you know, if someone was being run out of the pod, the other option was going to be they were going to get beat up. So, yeah, so as far as that's concerned, uh, they were just very proactive and let us, if you will, run the pod, run people out of the pod. Um, I mean, that's just how it was. (laughs) I mean, I was surprised. I kind of thought, well, at some point, do they run out of places to send these people? But I guess not. There's enough pods around to keep shifting and shifting. And one guy actually came back, you know, and um, there was a lot that I I felt like I learned from that show. And obviously, Mm -hmm. it was separated male versus female. And one of the things that struck me the most was that you had all of this, and I'm going to call it racial structure. Instead of hatred, because, and this I had discussed with a friend of mine, that was in the male pod. But in the female pod, race didn't seem to come up the same way. And I thought that was very telling. But when I always heard about racism in prison, I was like, prison's filled with hatred and skinheads and everybody hates each other. And I'm sure there's an aspect of that. But my sense was, and I want to hear your perspective, that actually it was more about creating structure and because you would see the the head of the woods which for those who didn't watch it was it like white only day what does that white, stand for whites only one day soon yes whites only one day soon so they were called the woods and then black people were called kinfolk and then was it chicanos for like yeah so there were there were a couple of groups that actually didn't come up that they never mentioned throughout the series so each group had five uh five distinct groups so as you said the woods the kinfolk the chicanos now the chicanos are predominantly u.s citizens of mexican descent most of the time it was mexican descent because we were so close to the mexican border but as you see abner Mm -hmm. uh, is from puerto rico and he was accepted into the woods Uh, in case you didn't know he was the enforcer just in case there was any question he was the enforcer but (laughs) but then uh uh 
uh, you have two other groups. You have the Pisces, which Pisces are usually, at least there, of Mexican. Mexican they're, they're from Mexico. <clears throat> right, because I think Pais means they're country in Spanish. Pais means country in Spanish, I think, if I recall correctly. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure okay, it does, you learn, but you know, well, don't quote you me. Learn you know, but uh, there, Pisces were uh, of Mexican descent, but they were not U.S. citizens, so they were here illegally. And then you finally had, because Arizona, there's a lot of tribal land. So you had a group of Indian, uh, Native Americans that were uh, called chiefs, which is huh. highly, highly, wow. uh, uh, I <laughs> not, think, not PC. Uh, considered racial. <laughs> Yeah. On the outside, but there it was every day. <laughs> well, but I, the thing was that, like, even when you're saying Abner, who's from Puerto Rico, was accepted into the woods, like, a lot of the stuff, like, as much as they had all these guidelines, it really just seemed like that, that it, there wasn't, I mean, again, I'm sure some people may have prejudice and hatred in their heart, but at least the guys that they showed, it didn't look like they really did. It was just a feature. It's what more, What do you think? Yeah. So I think it's more, and you do have your few that are you know they're just uh they're neo-nazis or, or or whatever the case may be but for the most part i would say it's more of a survival thing mm -hmm. it's more of a this is a group uh, unfortunately I, I live in the south and it's not unlike that here to an extent mm -hmm. you know and, and when i say that like here in the south we have churches that we go to and pretty much you got the white churches and the black churches yeah so uh, and, and I think that's unfortunate. I, I go to a church that we have everybody. I think we have over 100 different congregate, uh, uh, nationalities. But that being said, I, I don't think it's a, it's really that different than what you see in society. You hang out with, and, and I think this is their mind thought, is you hang out with who you feel comfortable with. And unfortunately, we, we have a long way to go for race relations in this country, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother couple, three, 12, 1500 episodes. But yes, mm -hmm. I, I would definitely sadly agree with you there. I want to talk about too, just the whole psychological component of being in there. Because that's, in my opinion, what we saw happening is people who cracked. I mean, Steve couldn't handle it as much as he thought he could. He just, that's why he basically had to leave. Steve, uh, he got asked to leave, right? He didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He, so, he, I don't think he was asked. He was more ordered. Yeah. I mean, this guy just, <laughs> if you get a chance to watch the episode, if you haven't seen it, yeah, Steve had to go. He was kind of, in my opinion, causing more trouble than he, you know, mm -hmm. than helping. But, and then we see Abner, who is someone who had been in prison and been in the gang system, uh, the system of gangs, I guess. And he almost reverted back to what he knew. I felt like almost instinctually or reflexively. And then um, David, same thing. Like, it, it's like, it kind of came out of them because they're in a place where they expected that to be like, I don't know if I'm making sense, but you were the one that I think people expected to just, it, it would be, Oh my gosh, psychologically too hard to handle. And you shown there's that word again with, you know, bright colors and, and did a great job and successfully, you know, contributed. Whereas those, those guys kind of quickly burned out. Abner got physical and kind of beat mm -hmm. on a guy. What is your perspective with all of the psychological components of being in there? Well, psychologically, I would say it, it to be in jail, regardless of if you're inmate or you're undercover, it's, it's already 
pretty rough on you anyway, uh, mm-hmm. just because you're in the same area, you know, having to deal with the same people. But I would say for participants, there's a psychological step that's there that messes with you even more. And that's the ability to be able to go home. So, you know, like I'm sure big brother, you guys have some type of signal or, Hey, I just want to go home. And at some point producers are going to come get you. Yeah. Uh, we have, a way of tapping out. Uh, they have an emergency signal and, and you see it. Um, in fact, you see it with Steve. He gives it over and over and over again. Um, it seemed kind and- of slow to me. I'm like, can they, like, if you're like really un- upset and uncomfortable, shouldn't they r- some kind of way rush in there? It took a long time. And again, who can tell mm-hmm. how long that was, but. So they basically confided in us that if you need exit out of the pot immediately you were to fall down and have a seizure okay a fake seizure but a seizure they said they'll run in there medical will pull you out and we'll get to you at some point during the process so you did have a way of getting out if you felt you needed to but the signal that you give is usually more hey i've got something i need to talk to producers or whatever so when you give it they usually respond it's not it's not immediate it's it's hours later Wow. I mean, just the whole process and watching you guys go through all of that was just a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it was amazing and, and fascinating and all of these things all wrapped up in one. And we're going to close here in just a few minutes, but I have some final important questions that I have to ask Mark coming up right after the break. Stay with me. Welcome back. Okay, so we have our final segment and I have a list of questions and I've gone through all of them. But then there's just a handful left that I want to ask Mark here from 60 Days In. So you've taken us through this whole process and you know, dealing with different racial groups and the fears and the anxiety and everything that you did making resumes for people, which I think is awesome. But is there anything that we didn't see that you were just, when you got home and you saw it, you're like, how did they not show this? Anything that you're surprised about or you wish that they had shown or anything along those lines? There were two things. (laughs) Number one, obviously the resume thing i've talked about that in some lengths so you guys you know i really wish they had shown that but the other thing that i wish they had shown is i was actually working a drug deal uh (laughs) with rocker so rocker if you don't remember was the he was the uh, pod boss for the kinfolk and david was his second uh, he told me about some corrupt officers in there or corrupt staff, should I say officers may not be the right word, but corrupt staff. And I was trying to get a, them to bring me in, uh, some type of drug so I could show the sheriff that I was able to get this, but they didn't show that. Oh, well. And I'm assuming they, they kind of showed a little bit where somebody smoked weed. I'm assuming there's drugs all throughout the place, like whatever you want, you can get it. Is that the case? I, you know, I would say at least in the other jails, yes. But Mark Lamb was, or I'm sorry, Sheriff Lamb, should I call him, was very <laughs> good about, they 
there wasn't a lot. The the drug abuse that went on there, for the most part, that I saw was prescription drug use. So, you know, the people that come in that have prescriptions, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have a medical nursing staff that has to provide those prescriptions. And a lot of people will just sell the drugs they're supposed to be, the prescription drugs they're supposed to be taking. Oh. So that, that was pretty much the drug use that I saw. Interesting. Well, before I get to my questions, you have a YouTube channel. Can you tell everybody what your YouTube channel is about and where they can find it and they can listen in or tune in? So if you are a huge 60 Days In fan, we talk a lot of 60 Days In. It's uh, Awkward Fist Bump Productions. Once again, that's Awkward Fist Bump Productions. And I'm sure you know where we get the Awkward Fist Bump uh, name from. <laughs> uh, but, but we talk a lot of 60 Days In. Uh, we, we have a lot of uh, previous participants that come on as hosts where we interview them. And occasionally we do some crazy stuff. We've interviewed uh, the guy that uh, rode with Doc the Bounty Hunter. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, we've had uh, one guy come on who's like an Emmy award-winning, Oscar award-nominated uh, filmmaker, which was that was kind of a cool experience. But uh, we talk a lot of sixty days in, and occasionally we do some just interesting stuff because you know what? It's my channel, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not, right? And where can people find you on social? Uh, so yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram and all you have to do is put it at the real Mark six zero at the real Mark 60. And that's Mark with a K. Excellent. And you said awkward fist bump productions. Can you explain to people where that name came from? If they're unfamiliar. (laughs) So there was one episode that really, and we kind of talked about it. Uh, I was kind of shown as the awkward guy that yelled Bible study randomly (laughs) and went and sat by myself. But uh, there was one scene specifically where I was giving everybody fist bumps. And so uh, you, know, you just got to watch that scene. I think you'll you'll laugh if you haven't seen it. But, uh, yeah. you know, I didn't really like, you know, when you get home and you finally see the finished product, you're like, man, that was, uh, they had to portray me that way. But mm-hmm. then I slowly learned, just embrace it. Just embrace it. That's how TV made you. So I like to give awkward fist bumps now. Yeah. <laughs> and you <laughs> so, kind of have to, right? Because you're stuck forever as that guy, you know, oh, perpetuity. It's, uh, just, in fact, just yesterday I was at the gas station and a young lady came up to me and she said, wait a minute, you're, yes, I am. <laughs> and so she, she reached her arm out and I had to give her an awkward fist bump. <laughs> Look at that. You've made your mark on society. <laughs> there you go. Better awkward fist bump than, you know, guy who was like beaten to a pulp in prison. So that's, that's, that's definitely better. So, um, so then my final questions would be, you get out of prison, you're released, you're free. How did that feel when you are first out? I mean, it must've been feeling like I can't even describe. I mean, it was exhilarating. I mean, you are literally, you, you take, Okay, so you take all the little things for granted. You take being able just to be outside when you want. You, you in fact, you you're not out in the sun hardly ever. So just going outside and being in the sun, yeah. and not not having to worry about anything or anybody was. It's a great experience, and and it's a shame you have to go to jail to learn how to how to appreciate the small things. But but it, it was exhilarating and. You don't eat a lot in jail because the federal government says 
you know, you have to provide inmates so many calories, but it's not as many calories as we're used to eating. Mm-hmm. And so you finally, and, and it's all bland. And I remember, in fact, uh, my very first meal was a very, it was a large meat lover's pizza. And uh, it was just the greatest pizza I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) With lots of flavor. I mean, how was the food in prison? Was it, you said bland, but is it disgusting and old or moldy? Or is it just very, very basic? Like, what actually did they give you? It, it, It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, bad from a health, well, (laughs) <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's made by other other uh, inmates, oh. trustees, so you don't know what it goes through. But it was all right. But I, I would probably describe it as eating cafeteria food from your high school every day for 60 days, if you can imagine that. And you have no choice. You just get what they give you, right? Like, so breakfast oh, could yeah. be eggs and yeah, yeah, bacon yeah. or whatever. I mean, you don't it. have it. There's no menu. You get what they serve. <laughs> and you don't get a lot of it. So, uh, what you'll see is, is that's why a lot of people will eat commissary in jail because if you just eat the mandatory, I believe it's 1800 calorie diet, you're going to be hungry all the time. Wow. Especially for men, bigger men. That's, that's not much. Yeah, but it's it's very bland, and as I said, it's like eating uh, cafeteria food every day. So you could imagine any any step outside of that is going to be wonderful anyway. <laughs> I'm sure. So then when you're back home, was it hard to assimilate back in? Because I know with Big Brother, and I don't know what you know about my season, I was on for one day. That was it. I got caught in a twist. But you're sort of left with this paranoia because of all that they put you through. And they tell you that, you know, if you do all these things or if you do anything wrong, you're going to be out. So you feel like you're watched. And it takes a long time to decompress from the paranoia. And I went through nothing like what you went through. So how was it for you to get back into society and normal and be with your wife and kids and be a dad? You know, it's actually funny you you mentioned that. For me, it wasn't that bad. I've been, you know, I've, I've been deployed with the army. So I've, I've seen, you know, I, I, I've, it just wasn't that bad. The only thing I would say that was a somewhat long-lasting effect is you're sleeping on a mattress that's an inch thick on a big metal slab. So I didn't Oof. sleep a lot. And, and that kind of carried over for like the first month. But outside of not being able to sleep, uh, I didn't really have any long-term uh, term effects. But we do have something called the 60 Days in Curse that's known among the participants. Hmm. And there's been a lot of long-term effects mentally and relationally with oh. a lot of the uh, 60 Days in participants. Uh, for me, I guess most of the military people, you know, you, you, part of being in the military is you learn to adapt. But for a lot of the civilians that did the show, uh, as I said, uh, in fact, there's a video on my YouTube channel that talks about the, the 60 days in curse. Are we talking so, like divorces and uh, yeah, people getting uh, arrested and, and DUIs and uh, mental health, for example. Wow. Uh, some people do deal with depression <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, but uh, it, it, I would say as far as from a divorce standpoint, you're looking at about 50, 60% of the participants that have lost a relation that, you know, had a relationship going in, don't have one anymore. So 
it's just interesting because I think it's no different than people that really are incarcerated for real, yeah. because they, they probably deal with a lot of the same issues, you know, uh, uh, unfaithful spouses, whatever. And, uh, and not that I know any of the dirty details behind anything, but, mm-hmm. but I'm sure it's a lot of the same <clears throat> effects that you see inmates go through when they come home. Were you offered any sort of aftercare services? Mm, they will have a, like a psychologist. I, I guess they offered it, but I didn't need it. So I didn't seek it. I, I think I spoke with the, they have a, a psychologist that talks to all the participants before and after just to see how you're doing. But outside of that one visit that you kind of have to do, I, I didn't seek anything, but I think they said there was uh, counseling available for people that needed it. Well, that's good, but it's, it's not like it's a set up coordinated thing or anything like that. No. Apparently. No, not at all. And well, by the way, since you brought up sleeping, how do you sleep in there? Because I would be very uncomfortable thinking I need to watch my back. Is something going to happen? Is it noisy? (laughs) Is it quiet? Are people screaming? Is it a madhouse? Like, how is that? Usually it for the most part when it's time for lights out the one thing people think that you know uh, uh, inmates in a jail it's an uncontrollable environment but i would say that there's a lot of self-governing within the inmate population and so usually after about nine or ten o'clock whenever lights out was i don't remember what time that was people would pretty much stay quiet um <laughs> Willie, every now and again, every few days, would uh, play. Uh, he would play off his uh, uh, drum, if you will. Yeah. And he would sing Indian that. chants or Native American chants. Uh-huh. And uh, and and that was about as loud as it got. And that was actually very welcome. So it's, it's – I know it sounds crazy, but it's strongly governed in there. Wow. And there's no, like, a bunch of rats and roaches running around and <laughs> – No. Not an R-Pod. Well, that's good because I just had a totally different, you know, perception of what I thought it would be. And so I have to say, I did a little research. I want, uh, you know, I don't know exactly when I had looked it up, but I was like, do they get paid to be on that show? And maybe I don't know what you're contractually allowed to say, but I found it said you get about $55,000. Now, I don't want to get into your personal business, but is that the case? Do you get paid? And is it $55,000? You are paid and you will not find that out from me because participants are contractually obligated <laughs> to never reveal compensation. I, well, you did a very good job <laughs> of explaining <laughs> that, but I would have to say you would have to compensate me, you know, like, I, Oh, I'm not doing it for free. No. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> sure. Right. Um, well, okay. So last question. Well, second to last question. Do you keep in touch with anybody from your 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 season, you know, David or um, Abner or any of the girls? And also how so, soon after, I guess it's a second to second to last question. And how soon after you left did you do the reunion? Okay, so I talked to David. I talked to Vivian all the time. Um, everyone else has kind of floated out the anonymity, mm-hmm. but, uh, David and Vivian and I have a very close friendship and we talk quite, quite often. Uh, I actually talked to Dylan, uh, who was the inmate that got jumped, oh. uh, in our pod. So he is now out of prison and we actually did an interview with me, David and, uh, 
and Dylan on my YouTube channel. I, I don't mean to keep pushing. My no, YouTube please channel, do. I think I'm going to have to check that out. Awkward fist bump. <laughs> yeah, but we did an interview. Uh, he got out of prison. Uh, it was a few months ago because we did the interview a couple of months ago and he was just out. So hopefully he's uh, doing better. So, yeah. 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 So I still talk to Dylan, uh, David and Vivian. And then you asked a follow up question and I don't remember what that follow up <laughs> question was. So I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right, because I kind of jumbled them them in there together. Uh, so I I just basically said, let's see, I don't even know if I remember. I said, do you keep in touch? And I don't know, maybe you answered it, but it, it shall ever yeah. forever remain unanswered if it if it wasn't. But would you do it again? That's the final question. You. <laughs> Yes. Uh, I don't know. Because, you know, a lot of people think that the hardest part of doing gel and doing a reality show is the experience of, in, the, in our particular case, uh, the experience would be harder than the end of the, 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 everything that happens afterwards. But I would say, actually, believe it or not, you do 60 days and then you have to deal with years of people speculating and, and <laughs> in mm -hmm. some cases trolling you. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I would do the experience again. Absolutely. Um, but I'm kind of a private person anyway. Mm -hmm. So and one of the things, I don't know how it was for big brother, but they told us, Hey, y'all, y'all probably want to stay off social media at least a while, uh, from when the show starts airing. But, I'm not. I'm nosy. I want to know what people say. <laughs> and <laughs> the I don't want to say the fallout because, uh, you know, I was generally well received by by the uh, people that watch 60 Days In. But it's just definitely just interesting seeing what everybody has to say and all the Monday morning quarterbacking mm -hmm. that you see on social media. Yeah, everybody has an opinion about what they would do or if they were you and how they think it should have gone and all of that. And they weren't there. Oh. But well, just like you, in Big Brother, you're in a high-stress environment, and you react one way, and then you get to see how people want to want to say, you know, for the for years following, uh, you know, well, he should have done this, he should have done that. Uh, well, you know what? I didn't, and I'll own it. But I will also dictate that you weren't on the show and you weren't in that high stress environment either. <laughs> yeah. So it's very easy to say that. And I'm, now, when I say this, please understand I'm not bashing the fans. As I said, I was generally well received by the majority good. of the 60 Days In community. But, you know, the, it's just definitely an interesting experience seeing seeing what everyone says. Yeah, and I, I would assume it's renewed since it's now on Netflix because it's like starting all over again. It's like it's premiering to a whole new set of eyeballs, you know. And we're the first season out of, well, I guess now you could say seven seasons because mm -hmm. there were six seasons and then they did an offshoot called Narcoland. Um, but we are the only season that has had that resurgence twice because – yeah, there's a there's a huge audience base that watches it off A and E from when they release it. And what we saw was okay, everything's kind of calmed down now, and uh, I'm not known as just the 60 Days In guy anymore. And then it gets <laughs> released on Netflix, and Netflix has a whole lot of viewers, so it kind of started all over again. <laughs> <laughs> At least you got a second chance. Yeah, like <laughs> you know you know how to do it a little bit more now, and what to expect. So. And uh, well, I have to say, I am happy to hear that you keep in touch with David. And I felt like he was a good guy who just kind of got sucked into 
all that went down, but he was well-intentioned. He is being hated on years. Here it is a couple of years later on something that at the end of the day, it was a couple of minutes of his life. And when you realize that you're, you're being filmed and, and you know, this, when you're being filmed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, if they want to find trash on you, they're bound to going to find, they're, they're going to find some trash. Mm -hmm. He made a mistake. He's owned his mistake. And as far as the participant, the participant community, we, we love the guy. And I, I look at it like, if we can forgive them, then maybe you guys should too, because it didn't affect you. It affected us. <laughs> yeah. The social media world is completely unforgiving. It's, it's really oh, yeah. sad. So, well, Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to, you know, answer the questions and share your experiences with myself and my listeners. It just, oh, I mean, yeah. it was fascinating. It, it really was. And For everybody listening, don't forget, you can check out Mark's YouTube channel, Awkward Fist Bump Productions, or tell them your social media again, just in case. Yeah, you can go, uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at TheRealMark60. At TheRealMark60. And and that, I mean, you know, for me, watching 60 Days In is a great way to understand more about our society, understand more about how people relate to each other. And that's, that's what this show is all about is really getting through life together because life is hard. I mean, it's such a cliche and I've shared my personal experiences. And for me, watching 60 Days In was very moving. And whether it was about the sociological, the psychological, the racial, or just humanity at whole, on on the whole, I really, really enjoyed watching it. And I won't soon forget it, I think. I don't think I will. And that's well, my. I want to be the first 60 Days In person to say thank you for watching the show. It really does. You know, it's kind of cool when people reach out to you. Oh, whoops. It looks like uh, Mark actually cut out there. But (laughs) I am glad that it ended um, at the end of the interview. Something's been happening here with the Anchor app this afternoon. But thank you, Mark, if you're out there. (laughs) You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Would you guys do this? I mean, I kind of asked myself how much, no, who am I kidding? There is no amount of money that they could pay me to go into prison for two months, maybe 24 hours. That, there is a price. I could be bought and paid for for 24 hours, but two months, especially if you guys, if you've tuned in and you've seen the women, there's a lot more like bickering. I mean, I don't know, men, it's like it gets physical, but the women, it's like power struggle and, you know, girl code and this person against that person. And I just, they like stole food from each other and stole blankets and ugh. so I, oh no, (laughs) $55,000 for two months. No, I mean, I, I couldn't do it two months. Like I said, just 24 hours maybe two days. I'd have to think about anything beyond that. But wow, thank you, Mark, for sharing all the details and all the secrets and the nitty gritty and everything that you went through. I really appreciate it. And I'm sorry you got cut off. 
Um, you know, for me, when I watched the show, and again, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. But for those of you who have, it's just it's just a unique sort of perspective on prison life. Because I've watched documentaries, I've watched those shows on MSNBC, the prison shows and stuff. But I kind of was surprised at the humanity that I got to see in prison and people helping other people. And like I had mentioned to Mark, not seeing like pure hatred, even mixed in with these racial, racist names, kinfolk, woods, Chicanos, Pice, all of that, that I just saw people just trying to get by, you know? And isn't that what we're all trying to do? Even if we're not in prison and we're living our everyday lives, I know that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, I, I appreciate that people like Mark will go in and do this kind of participation in this kind of program because people like me can sit at home on Netflix and just watch, you know, and people like you guys just, it was, I don't know, I just, I found it very informative. And again, like I said, the focus on just understanding a different part of humanity that I believe, I mean, I guess you never know, but I believe I will never participate in. I will never be a part of prison life. So it's nice to see that, like he said, that it's just there are some guys that are just bad circumstances and drugs and addiction and all these things. Not everybody is someone that needs to be thrown away. And I agree with that. Some, of course, probably do need to be locked up for life. But um, not Mark. <laughs> he is out. So I enjoyed it. And I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. This is not an interview-based show, but I do want to provide interviews from time to time, things that interest me and people that interest me that I think will interest you as well. I don't want light, fluffy, you know, I don't know, gardening tips, even though I do like gardening. So, <laughs> but I like people who share personal experiences and uh, I hope I do a good job of that because that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Thank you.